Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse number 11. For this, is, for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us so that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess, But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and my text selection is very deliberate this morning. So I hope that you heard it, and I hope that you will return to it this week to review this passage of Scripture as you consider these things in your heart and make application in your life. In preparing for this day, my intention was originally to keep things in the context of the topical sermons that I will be preaching throughout this year to state my point of things you need to know. One of the things that you need to know, and I was intending to focus upon this morning, is that abortion is murder, And the modern abortion movement is genocide. Although it is. These statements or even acknowledgments, what I came to understand in thinking upon it, is that they're just insufficient and too general. They are things that you need to know. 
But it would be like standing up and saying that Nazism is genocidal, but saying and doing nothing to change Nazi beliefs and practices that will eventually lead you, brainwash you, into thinking that exterminating the Jews is righteous. And so we sit here and say, oh, the horror of the Jewish Holocaust with the blood of over 60 million babies who have been surgically aborted since 1973 here in America on our hands. That is not counting all the abortions through abortifacients and other means, which most likely make 60 million seem like a drop in the bucket. Now, I have no idea how many babies we have aborted, but the number seems more likely to be in the billions than the millions. And yet, this uncertain number that is way higher than 60 million is only going to become astronomical if we do not do more then state our horror of third trimester abortions. If that is all we do, it will not be long until we are accepting of third trimester abortions when the rest of our culture has adopted infanticide. Yes, third trimester abortions are horrific and grotesque. And grotesque is really what we are saying, unfortunately. Because we have not yet been desensitized to partial birth abortion. If they could make it less grotesque, then our opposition would wane. Which is why we oppose third trimester abortions more zealously than chemically induced miscarriages. It is also the reason why we are not opposing euthanasia that fervently. And no, it is not because it's not widespread enough yet. Besides, what is the magic number when we should oppose murder? A hundred? Fifty? Ten? Or one? Thou shalt not murder. It begins at one. It's not thou shalt not murders. Thou shalt not murder. But the reason why we don't oppose assisted suicide or any other form of euthanasia is because it's not that grotesque. If we took old people out back behind the nursing home and shot them in the head, there would be great outcry. But if we just give them a little shot to make them go asleep, to go to sleep and drift away painlessly, we do not have too much concern. Now, I'm not talking about providing comfort and pain relief. I'm talking about doing that which kills them. We view one as painless because it is not grotesque, and the other as painful and barbaric because it is. Well... Actually, maybe it's not, but it is messy, right? Because a well-executed bullet to the head is instant death. It's just more grotesque than a needle. 
And how wicked is that? Think of how wicked that is. How wicked that is in your heart and my heart. It's wicked. It's wicked that we would think such a thought. It is wicked when our repulsiveness is not the murder, but the means by which we murder. Either way, a life has ceased to exist. Either way, it is murder, which is the point here. The reason why we find justification for murder is because we are all murderers at heart. And we have suppressed the truth to the point where we can rationalize and justify our murderous actions. If we say, well, it's painless and humane. Or, well, at least it is someone who is not viable. Or, well, it is, at least it's just a poor person or some other type of person who is not a contributor to society. Or, it was just a Jew. Or, it was just an old person. Or, it was just a fetus. You see, Hitler's mistake was the grotesque factor. And the pictures that, you know put it on display for everyone. So the world was actually able to see the horror. But if you remove the grotesque fast factor and the visibility factor, do you really think the reaction against Hitler would be the same? No, I don't believe that there would be which is the reason why Hitler is hated and Margaret Sanger is beloved. Think of that. If there was a song to be written, like in the days of Saul and David, it would say, Hitler has killed his millions, but Sanger has killed her billions. But yet she's beloved. And Hitler is hated. We have to say something more. And it's our duty and our responsibility. But we have to say something more than just that we are repulsed by the means. We have to say, have something more than just responding. If we are going to see any change, if we are going to actually defend life, if we are going to actually do what our text calls us to do, and that is to choose life, which is different than just defending life. We've been told to choose life. You see, because thou shalt not kill also brings the commandment with it, thou shalt preserve life. If our only focus is on the means or the observation of the act, we will not be able to oppose evil, the curses, and death. It will overtake us. It will overrun us as it has to this day. 
We must do more than observe and get grossed out when the means become too extreme. By the way, that's also usually our same strategy against pornography. Only to the point when we start getting grossed out. We have to do more than just express our concern. We must choose good. We must choose the blessings. We must choose life. And this is the thing that we have not done, and therefore we abide in a culture of death today. So first, this morning, let's really nail this down so that we cannot find our pious way to cop out of the situation that is before us in the day in which we live, for we have been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. First of all, let's be honest. You and I cannot claim ignorance. Let's be honest. There's not one person out in the world who can claim ignorance. The question, one of the first things we need to start with is, can we please have some honesty? That is something that is so lacking in our day and time is honesty. But can we be honest? Everyone wants to play dumb today, and although I will admit this generation has risen to new heights in stupidity, it is willful stupidity. It's willful. Don't ever get conned into thinking that it's not willful. You and I do it. The whole world does it. We come up with all of our excuses and scapegoats and ways to try to get around things and out of things. But the reason why we run through all those hoops and run everyone else through those hoops is because we know. Right? We know. It's willful ignorance. And it's not just in the area of abortion. It is in just about everything. Of course, there are things that we may not know because we lack knowledge as far as in the extent of things. And there are some things that are mysterious, but we cannot claim such when it comes to what is good and evil, blessings and curses, life and death. We cannot claim ignorance of right and wrong, and us as Christians have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, so we have received so many means to eliminate our excuses that it's became rather redundant. So why do we say certain things are too mysterious for us or that it is too far away for our understanding? Why do we say that we need some kind of new and supernatural revelation? If only someone could ascend into heaven and come back and bring us further word and more information, we would know what to do. Or maybe if someone would go overseas to some distant place where they are more enlightened than us and bring us further word or more information. But that's not the issue. That's what is said here. And by the way, Paul uses the same argument in the book of Romans, right? That there's no excuse. You don't need further word. You need to be obedient to the word you already have. 
that which you already know. The issue is not knowing the issue. The issue is suppressing the issue. We have natural revelation in creation and special revelation in the Holy Scripture, but we also have been created in the image of God, and our text says that the word is very near to us in that it is even in our mouths and in our hearts. It's in our being. It's in our minds. It's in our consciences. So when it comes to the knowledge of God and righteousness... Paul tells us in Romans 1 that everything that is needful to render us without excuse, even in this fallen state. Everything to render us excuseless has been revealed. Now, creation, along with our being created in the image of God, is not sufficient to know the way of salvation, but it is sufficient to know the Creator, His eternal Godhead, and to know what is good and evil. When we say that man is totally depraved, we do not mean that he is as bad as he could be. What we are saying is that every aspect of man, every part of his being, has been ruined or affected in original sin, and he has the capacity and the capability for any kind and any degree of sin in him. Because it's out of the heart that precedes sin, according to Jesus. And so we go astray from our birth because of our sinful nature, but we do not begin with sodomy and murder. Right? How many two-year-old murderers do we have walking around? No, we begin in lies and selfishness. We have to work our way to debauchery. This is why there is progression in Romans chapter 1. However, the reason why there is a progression in the degree and quantity of sin is because it comes from within us and we suppress the truth in our unrighteousness because we want to be ungodly. There's never a person that has became, uh, who has given themselves over to debauchery who did not want to debase themselves. We will and do our own pleasures, whatever they happen to be at the moment. And the more we suppress the truth, the more debased our pleasures become. Go read Romans chapter 1. There's a progression there, right? And so it is with abortion, which is why many Christians will not presently consider a surgical abortion in the third trimester, but they will use some kind of abortifacient to kill their baby in the earliest moments of pregnancy. The world has suppressed the truth through willful falsehoods or ignorance to do and will after their good pleasure in killing their unborn babies in the third trimester. 
we do the same thing only much earlier because we have not worked our way that far down the rabbit hole yet. But we know it is murder. But we do it because we are murderers at heart. We have murder in our heart and we find some way in which to carry out our desires. But we all know, and there is not anyone who does not know, that abortion is murder. And I'm using the murder word because they know it is the killing of human life, and that is murder. And everyone knows it. Every abortion doctor knows it. Every woman walking into a clinic knows it. That abortion is murder. It is the killing of innocent life. Randy Alcorn said all that was necessary to prohibit an abortion was the command, you shall not murder. Every Israelite knew that, pre-born chi- that the preborn child was a child. So do we, if we are honest. We all know a pregnant woman is carrying a child. End of quote. You see, the hypocrisy is all over the place. You watch TV shows and movies. There's some woman that's pregnant going to the doctor, and what do they talk about? Or maybe it's a, you know, some kind of a medical rescue type show, and they always refer to it as the baby. But then when it comes to the subject of abortion, it's like, well, it's not a baby. Everyone knows it's a baby. That's why they call it a baby. That's why when you go in to your doctor when you're pregnant, they will refer to it as a baby. You see, if it isn't a baby, then you're not pregnant. So what are you aborting? And everyone knows it. The only question is whether we are going to be honest about it. Michael Aston, who is a British rock musician and music producer, said, Let's not pretend that abortion isn't about the mass slaughter of innocents. The comedian and actor Christopher Titus said, This much I know is true. Abortion is an atrocity. Those who practice or praise it are either damn idiots, misguided fools, or treacherous devils. Faye Waddleton, who is an American reproductive rights activist who was the first African American and the youngest president ever elected of Planned Parenthood, and the first woman since Margaret Sanger to hold that position, said, I think we have deluded ourselves into believing that people don't know that abortion is killing. So any pretense that abortion is not killing is a signal of our ambivalence. A signal that we cannot say yes, it kills a fetus. And she's an advocate for it. Naomi Wolf. 
the radical, pro-choice, libertarian feminist wrote. So what will it be? Wanted fetuses are charming, complex, rim-dreaming little beings whose profile on the sonogram looks just like daddy. But unwanted ones are mere uterine material. How can we change that it is vile and repulsive? How can we charge that it is vile and repulsive for pro-lifers to brandish vile and repulsive images if the images are real? To insist that the truth is in poor taste is the very height of hypocrisy. Besides, if these images are often the facts of the matter... And if we then claim that it is offensive for pro-choice women to be confronted by them, then we are making the judgment that women are too inherently weak to face a truth about which they have to make a grave decision. This view of women is unworthy of feminism. Free women must be strong women too, and strong women presumably do not seek to cloak their most important decisions in euphemism. End of quote. You see, they know. They know. Just like you know. Just like I know. Patricia Heaton, the Emmy Award winning actress, said, I find it impossible to subscribe to a philosophy that believes that the destruction of human life is a legitimate solution to a problem that is mostly social, economic, and psychological. She also wrote, abortion doesn't only harm women, it eliminates them. The abortion issue is so obvious that in 1977, before power, money, and who knows what else influenced the Reverend Jesse Jackson. He wrote a 1,000 word essay for National Right to Life News and then speaking at the 1977 March for Life in Washington, D.C., said the solution to a crisis pregnancy is not to kill the innocent baby, but to deal with the mother's values and her attitudes toward life. They know. Even the United Nations declared in 1959 in the Declaration of the Rights of the Child that the child, by reason of higher physical and mental immaturity, needs special safeguards and care, including appropriate legal protection before as well as after birth. They know. Christopher Hitchens, the anti-theist, author, journalist, and friend of the famous atheist Richard Dawkins wrote this, and you have to listen intently here. He was a brainiac. I claim an absolute right to be interested in the condition of the human fetus because, well, I used to be one myself. There was a time when the feminist movement replied to this with militant indignation. What individual? What person? The most famous title of the period, Our Bodies, Ourselves, captures the tone to perfection. If we need to remove an appendix or a tumor from our own personal spaces, then it's nobody else's GD business. 
I used to cringe when I heard this. Not so much because in the moral sense, fetuses aren't to be compared to appendixes, let alone tumors, but because it is obvious nonsense from a biological and embryological point of view. Babies come from where they come from. The diagram of a vacuum suction abortion in our bodies ourselves gave the female anatomy in some detail, but showed only a void inside the uterus. This perhaps unintended concession to queasiness has since become more noticeable as a consequence of advances in embryology and by the simple experience of the enhanced sonogram. Women who have gazed at the early heartbeat inside themselves now have some difficulty, shall we say, in ranking the experience with the planned excision of a polyp. He goes on to say, Nobody on the left can avoid noticing that the so-called pro-life forces are overwhelmingly female and from income groups that traditionally voted Democrat. Yet this simple rebellion by what one may, might dare to term humble people has been written off as reactionary by people who can't or won't see the essential dignity of the right to life position. I had a queasy feeling about the disposability of the fetus. This queasy feeling has not gone away once you allow that the occupant of the womb is even potentially alive. It cuts athwart any glib invocation of the woman's right to choose. End of quote. Second, Notice, beginning in verse 15, that what is set before us is life and good, death and evil. It is a command to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, so that we might live and multiply and receive his blessings upon our land. But if we refuse... And go our own way to do our own will and pleasure, we shall surely perish. So what is declared in verse 19 is that life and death, blessing and cursing, is set before us. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants might live. And this is the thing that we have refused to do. We have not chosen life, and as a result, we are guilty of murder. I don't mean the pro-choice feminists. I mean us, the church. We have rejected the culture of life, and now we have a culture of death, and it is a tide that is rising in tsunami fashion. God created man in his own image in Genesis 1.27. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. But we are now saying, No, absolutely not. I'm not going to give up my figure. I'm not going to give up my sports car. I'm not going to give up my time. I want to do my own will and pleasure. And now our land is full of blood because selfishness is the root of murder. Selfishness is the love of self and the hatred of others. 
which is murder. Charles Spurgeon said, murders, murderers, or excuse me, murders themselves arise from the evil passions of the human heart. If the fire was not there, temptation could not fan it into a flame. It is not because men love themselves better than their neighbors that they commit murder. Spurgeon also wrote, murder is but hate ripened into deed. And therefore, the least degree of hate is a violation of the command, thou shalt not kill. Now, there may be a lot of reasons not to have children, first of which is not being married. That's a good reason. Some women in this fallen world are not able to conceive. Some husbands and wives have health issues where decisions where decisions not to have children have to be made. There are medical reasons. There can be financial reasons and many other reasons not to conceive children or to only multiply a certain number, but that is not the attitude we have today. That's not what's going on. You see, what we have going on today is an attitude of death and hatred. It's not having to figure things out with grievous situations and decisions that have to be made where we grieve in that situation and we grieve about those decisions that have to be made. No, we live in a day and time where we rejoicingly reject life and live by a philosophy of death. Which is the reason why many Christian women abort their children both with surgical abortions or the use of abortifacients. We have not chose life and therefore we have death. You see, to reject life is to choose death, according to our text. You have two choices. If you reject the one, the only other choice is the other. To reject a culture of life is to be a murderer at heart, and to choose such will lead us in the further suppression of the truth as we sink further and further in unrighteousness. Mark my words this morning. Just as cultural Christianity has accepted, quote-unquote, gayness, so in a few years, it will openly accept abortion because we already have. We have already accepted abortion as long as it's not too grotesque. Remember what Christopher Hitchens wrote that I quoted earlier. Once you allow that the occupant of the womb is even potentially a life, it cuts athwart any glib invocation of the woman's right to choose. You see, even Dr. Seuss said, a person is a person no matter how small. Scott Klusendorf asked a very good question. 
He asked, how does a simple journey of seven inches down the birth canal suddenly transform the essential nature of the fetus from non-person to person? That is a great question. Because the real question is, is the fetus human life or not? Which, by the way, you know what the word fetus means, right? Baby. They think they're all so smart. It's not a baby, it's a baby. That's what they're saying. It's not a baby, it's a fetus. Duh. So, that's the real question. Is it human life or not? See, we come up with all kinds of excuses, be it lifestyle or even crimes. But the real issue is life, the choosing of life or death. Randy Alcorn also wrote, Imposing capital punishment on the innocent child of a sex offender does nothing bad to the rapist and nothing good to the woman. Creating a second victim never undoes the damage to the first. Abortion does not bring healing to a rape victim. You see, we come up with all kinds of ways to try to circumvent the issue, and is this a human life or not? You see, the real issue is our denial of God, which is to choose death. The real problem is that we would rather have death because we want to do evil. We do not want to be submitted to God. We don't want to be submitted to, as Randy Alcorn wrote, the biblical view of children is that they are a blessing and a gift from the Lord, but you are hard-pressed to hear that coming out of the vocabulary of modern Christians today. Why? Because we've already accepted the culture of death. We've already accepted abortion. Because we don't want children and we hate children. But he said the biblical view of children is that they are a blessing and a gift from the Lord. However, Western culture increasingly treats children as liabilities. We must learn to see all children as God does. And we must act toward them as he commands us to act. We must defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy and deliver them from the wicked. We do not want to have a biblical view because we want to will and do our own pleasure. And then we justify it because we are oh so pious. We come up with righteous language and the sounding of being righteous. When actually, what it's about is hating children, hating life, killing innocent babies. I'm going to slaughter this guy's last name. Um, but Clifford Bajama, I think I was close, said, 
If it were possible for the unborn child to choose to be wanted or unwanted, the child would predictably and rightfully choose to be wanted. But if the alternative to being wanted is being eliminated, what kind of a choice is that? Since the child cannot even make the choice, fruitless though it would be, considering the alternatives, there are those who make its choice for it by killing it, and then piously pretending that their killing is really not an act of murder, but of mercy because it is done as a humanitarian favor to the child. John Calvin wrote, The fetus, though enclosed in the womb of its mother, is already a human being, and it is a monstrous crime to rob it of the life which it has not yet begun to enjoy. If it seems more horrible to kill a man in his own house than in a field, because a man's house is his place of most secure refuge, it ought surely to be deemed more atrocious to destroy a fetus in the womb before it has come to light. You see, we are such pious murderers, pious adulterers, pious thieves, pious seditionists, pious Sabbath breakers, pious idolaters. We are pious, selfish, narcissistic revolters against God. So, number three, how are we to choose life in a culture of death? Now, I've modified a list that was issued by another pastor many years ago. And so I'm utilizing that. So anything that sounds familiar to anybody, yes, I'm using someone else's material here. But I've modified it for our purposes here this morning. And the very first thing, what should we do? The very first thing we should do is repent. Confess our sins and repent. That's what we're told the scripture reading that we started off the service with here this morning. And God's anger against Israel. And you know what the solution was at the end? To repent. Turn back to me, God says. Confess our sins and repent. You see, repentance is not just a change of mind, but it is first a change of mind. And the first thing we need to do in our repentance is to change our minds and conform our mind to the mind of Christ, to the word. To think God's thoughts. Not our own thoughts. Your thoughts are sinful. So the first thing is, is to change our minds about marriage, to change our minds about sex, and to change our minds about children. It's time to change our minds and acknowledge that God is true and that the serpent is a liar. We must reject the mind of Satan and put on the mind of Christ. So we have to repent of our not choosing life. You see, where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be heart be also and our heart gives away our speech just like it gave away peter our heart gives away gives us away in our speech and in our affections in our time and in our money and our whole attitudes and actions father frank pavone who's the director for priests for life said 
For a Christian to speak or act publicly in a pro-choice manner is a scandal to the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ. Now there are some things that Father Provone has wrong, but I tell you that Roman Catholic's got that right. It's a scandal. Whenever we speak like the culture of death, it is a scandal to the gospel in the name of Christ. Much less when we act and behave as such. So we need to repent and we need to change our minds so that we might amend our ways. Second, we need to become committed to the church, to its worship, to its devotions, to its support, to its work, to its people. Commit. Stop trying to straddle the fence and commit. And what do I mean by commit? Acts 2, 38 through verse 47. We're not going to read it here this morning. We've dealt with it here recently in dealing with the devotions of the church. How they were committed to certain things as Christians. Christians should be committed to certain things. What were they committed to? The apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread and of prayers, and to each other. They laid down their lives for one another. So there can be no effective opposition to abortion without the building of the church. But the church has to first become the church. Third, Concerning the issue of abortion specifically, we must realize the urgency of the situation. See, we have aborted over 60 million babies through surgical abortion since 1973. And abortion is rising greatly through abortifacient means. It's becoming more hidden, not as grotesque, and it is expanding astronomically. Our culture has been given over to a culture of death, and we need to realize the urgency of that. It's a culture of death. James Caviezel, the actor, said abortion goes much further. When the mother herself kills her son, she goes against her own nature, because it is unnatural, right? It's one thing we need to realize today. Abortion is unnatural. Any aspect, the mindset, attitudes, everything is unnatural. It is unnatural for women not to love children. Unnatural. Something is going on. Unnatural. Just like it is unnatural for a man to love a man in a sexual sense. It's unnatural. And so he says abortion goes much further talking about all the other types of sins and stuff. It goes much further. even goes further than typical murder. When the mother herself kills her son, she goes against her own nature, against her own instinct. People talk about choice, but when a woman does that, when she destroys the life of her unborn child, then we have arrived at the limit. The level cannot go higher regarding evil. The highest of evil is that which is unnatural. Number four, we must realize that God's judgment rests on a nation that allows or condones murder unless it truly repents. Numbers 3533 warns us, So shall you not pollute the land 
and no expiation shall be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it except by the blood of him who shed it. Number five, we must change our attitudes, habits, words, and actions by surrendering to the authority of God in matters of sex, marriage, and children, which means Christian marriages between one man and one woman for the purpose of creating a family, which includes having children, if possible. It means opposing premarital sex. It means opposing and not participating in pornography. It means not participating, endorsing, or celebrating evil, but doing good. Hating what is evil and loving what is good. For to be anti-life is to be pro-death. Number six, we must be conformed to the image of Christ by having the mind of Christ, which means educating ourselves with Scripture. Think of these words, and I'm going to run through these as quickly as I can. In Genesis chapter 29, verse 31, it says, The Lord opened Leah's womb. Genesis 30, 22, God opened Rachel's womb. Judges 13, 3 through 5, talks about uh, being committed to God from the womb. Ruth 4, 13, the Lord gave her conception. Luke 1, 15, filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Martin Luther said, even if all the world were to combine forces, they could not bring about the conception of a single child in any woman's womb, nor cause it to be born. That is wholly a work of God. Think of these passages. Job chapter 10, verse 8 through, 11, uh, through 12, talks about God knitting Job together with bones and sinews and granted him life. Psalm 127, verse 3, the fruit of the womb is a reward. Psalm 139, 13, God weaved me in my mother's womb. Ecclesiastes 11, 5, bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman. Isaiah 49, the Lord called me from the womb, formed me in the womb. Jeremiah 1, 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Luke 1, 15, filled with the Holy Spirit while in his mother's womb. Luke 1, 39 through 30. The baby leaped in my womb for joy. Galatians 1.15 Set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through grace. Think about these other passages concerning the sacredness and sanctity of human life. In Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image. Psalm 8. God made man a little lower than God. How about these? Passages of scripture to consider if abortion is murder in Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. Exodus 20, 13, you shall not murder. Exodus 23, 7, do not kill the innocent or the righteous. Proverbs 6, 17, God hates hands that kill innocent blood. Amos 1, God punished those who ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead. 1 Peter 4, 15, do not let any of you suffer as a murderer. And real quickly, we must vote for life and communicate to our elected officials and legislators that we must honor God's moral standards and without equivocation declare that one of those standards condemns abortion. We must educate and organize our Christian friends, to stand unashamedly, unashamedly for the sanctity of life. We must, as a church and individually, get involved in pro-life work. 
We must have funerals for our children who die before they are born. We must bury our dead, plant them in the ground, in the shore, and certain hope of the resurrection, and not cremate them. We need to write letters, we need to pray, and we need to evangelize, and we need to speak the truth at all costs. And to be able to speak the truth with passion. Sometimes we see a lot more passion coming from other places. How about from Kelsey Kramer? Remember him? Frazier from Cheers. And then Frazier from Frazier, <laughs> the show. He said this. Little makes me angry, but injustice does. It gets a bit dishonest to call something reproductive rights when you clearly have a choice well before the baby is conceived. If someone has to die as a result of rape, then we should kill the rapist. Those were his quotes attending the 2016 March for Life where he was seen wearing a t-shirt showing the image of a pistol with the words, Would it bother us more if they used guns? We must be willing to speak the truth. Like John Piper spoke the truth when he said the abortion industry kills as many black people every four days as the Klan killed in 150 years. Just in case you need some clarity. You see, Christ is calling us to choose life, to stand for life. We must defend life and choose life and live a culture of life. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The Apostle John said, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And then he said, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Father, we pray that you would forgive us of the bloodshed that is upon our nation. Because of our rebellion against you, Because we have turned from your ways into our own wicked ways. And we have been given over to a culture of death because of the hate that rules in our hearts. Help us to repent and turn back to you in Christ's name. Amen.